Welcome to the Boutil Project Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm so excited that you're here. Really happy that you're here. And welcoming to the podcast today, we have Dr. Chris Cole from Dallas, Texas. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Welcome. So excited to have you here and to chat more. We're going to be chatting a lot about chiropractic medicine, mm-hmm. possibly about polyvagal theory. Yes. A few more other things. We'll see how, see where the conversation takes us. Yeah. But before we hop into conversation, would you like to introduce yourself? I'll just start off by saying queso is my favorite food group, just so everybody knows. But yes, I am Dr. Chris Cole. I was born and raised here in Dallas, Texas. I went to the University of Oklahoma for undergrad and received my bachelor's in health and exercise sciences, which for some of you might be something like kinesiology. Mm -hmm. Same thing. And then straight from undergrad, I went to start my doctor of chiropractic program at Parker University here in Dallas. (laughs) Fun fact, I had to take my finals at OU a week prior to like normal exam time so I could start my program in Dallas from the get-go so didn't have a break between undergrad oh my god which was intense but I'm really happy I did because I met uh some of my best friends today and yeah that's wild oh my god yeah (laughs) so that's a little bit about my education I just maybe so everybody has kind of a background about my chiropractic experience I didn't grow up going to a chiropractor. Some people who go to chiropractic school or people who become chiropractors have this like crazy lineage of family chiropractors or had these crazy like chiropractic stories growing up. My first and only experience going to a chiropractor before school was seeing this guy who's really an applied kinesiologist. He did adjust, but did mostly like muscle testing with nutrition and supplements, which is super cool and has its place, I believe. But That was my experience. And my dad took me because somebody else on the basketball team had gone and started scoring 20 points a game. So my dad was like, okay, you're going to go see a chiropractor. And, you know, I had gone two or three times and didn't really experience much benefit from it in the moment. So that was my experience. So I kind of went into school with this idea that I wanted to do working like with athletes, like physical therapy or like training and stuff, because a lot of chiropractors do do that. So that was kind of my, my intention going into school. Um, so basically I, I had gotten through a year of school. The first year of chiropractic school is really like basic sciences and a little bit of technique adjusting stuff, but that was it. And so I got to my first, one of my first chiropractic seminars and had this paradigm shifting experience and seeing somebody receive what is called network spinal care which is kind of its own thing within the chiropractic world, but it totally flipped my head on end and what I thought I knew I wanted to do and what I thought I knew about healing and the body and all this, all these concepts. Right. So that's kind of where my, my journey, if you want to think about it like that, began in chiropractic. Thank you for introducing yourself. Of course. (laughs) My knowledge of chiropractic medicine is quite small. My mom brought us to a chiropractor when we were kids. I'm a twin. I felt uncomfortable, which makes sense now because there was trauma going on with me, like in my own body. And so obviously the interaction like with a stranger felt uncomfortable for me. And it was also early nineties, which stuff was just not like regular or things were regulated, but things were just different back then. But I remember the chiropractor I went to see had different names for, I think he had like the crunch master or something like different names for things that he would do. And we, we thought it was funny, but we were so young, six, seven, eight. I feel like that's a very unfair, unclear, (laughs) like, well, it is my experience. It's not, I'd like to learn more. (laughs) So that's why I'm so, (laughs) I'm so excited to have to have you on and to hear more about that. And I'd be curious to know if we're going to hop right into this, what was it about that interaction? So I'll I'll speak to that and then maybe share a little bit about chiropractic as well. So my experience was really my, my introduction into knowing or to understanding that there's so much more than this, like physical, physical thing, right. That we, this, this vessel that we get to walk around in and live through. 
So in network spinal care there, I don't want to explain it or speak directly to it because I don't practice it and I don't want to do it a disservice in that way. But basically the practitioner makes very light, gentle contacts on the body. And there can sometimes be this, this wave that happens through the passive and active subsystems of the body in order to reorganize energy and information within the system. For anybody who's curious, there's a show on Netflix called Goop. It's Gwyneth Paltrow's thing about, right? Um, and one of the episodes on there is with a network spinal practitioner. And so sometimes when people receive care, they experience this involuntary wave type motion that happens in their body when it seems like the practitioner is not really doing anything. And so that was, that's what I experienced And it. Just like everything up until then for me was very physical and like from this like hard place. And that was my first introduction into seeking really right at the time was like, I wanted to be on this search for more because at that time I had recognized immediately, like something in me switched and I recognized that there was, there was much more than what I thought I knew at the time. I will say, and it, it speaks to the whole chiropractic thing, right? Is mm-hmm. chiropractic is really founded on this awareness that we have this innate capacity within ourselves to heal and to, to grow and to thrive and to experience life. And so it's really working with that, like these energetic forces happening there and then the body taking it um, and using it however it needs to. Mm-hmm. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. Uh, there's so many different areas that we could go in this conversation and within the realm of chiropractic medicine. And I think maybe a good place to start might be that chiropractic medicine is founded on shifting the tone of the nervous system. Well, yeah, we can, we can dive into that a little bit. So maybe as a preface, chiropractic originally, we can say was founded or really rediscovered um, in the late 1800s. The founder of chiropractic, his name was Didi Palmer. And Didi Palmer was a magnetic healer. And so the original story of chiropractic goes that there was a janitor that worked in the building with Didi Palmer, who I believe was partially deaf or half deaf. And um, Didi had, had him come into this room and supposedly he adjusted this guy named Harvey Lillard in somewhere in like the upper thoracic region, like around T4. And after he adjusted him, he re- Harvey Lillard regained his hearing. And at the time and still today, there's no like direct, no neurological connection, right? Between the thoracic spine and hearing, like hearing happens through the cranial nerves. So that's kind of how it started, right? Was this big mystery or this big unfolding of chiropractic. And so from there, throughout the early 1900s and middle 1900s, um, it was further developed by his son, BJ Palmer. And also the philosophy of chiropractic was also created or reinforced, I, I guess, if you want to think about it like that. But basically, chiropractic is founded on this concept of shifting the tone of the nervous system, right? So our nervous system is, you know, and as most people maybe know, is like this master coordinator system of our bodies, right? The brain, the spinal cord, and all of the nerves um, that coordinates the function of pretty much every single cell, every tissue, every organ, all of it. It's also our threat perceiving center, right? So our nervous system's primary function is to make sure that we are safe, that we feel safe, and that it has this capacity to look for threat, right? That's kind of its its primary objective is like a threat searching. And so we're mostly taught that the nervous system is divided up into two subsystems or two groups, right? In the autonomic nervous system as sympathetic or parasympathetic. And so the degree of threat that we are under or the amount of tension that we are under in our, in our systems, right? Dictates the, the setting or the, the gear, right? That we're under. And we can dive a little bit further into that like polybagel theory and stuff like that later on. But traditionally, chiropractic was founded on shifting the tone of the nervous system so that our innate intelligence, right? Some groups call it the higher self. Um, some people might call it the God within. The innate intelligence of our body can work as it's supposed to, or we can be greater in connection with that. In chiropractic, we believe that that works primarily through the nervous system. So kind of to to further that piece a little bit in the science of chiropractic, we believe that we know now actually through the work of polyvagal theory primarily and through biotensegrity and some other body-mind sciences 
that when we experience too much stress, right? And stress in chiropractic, we categorize it into three separate things. We have physical stress, chemical stress, and the mental emotional stress as well. And so when our systems undergo too much stress or the experience is too great, right? Our nervous system shifts into that sympathetic gear, that like fight or flight thing where our bodies come into this front body contraction, the backside elongates, right? We have all this energy in our system to act, right? In the present moment. And our brain doesn't really differentiate between experiences, right? So you can imagine a bear coming at you and the same physiological response will happen as if a bear is actually coming at you. So that's kind of where the mental emotional aspect comes in, right? But the stress response in all animals is the same, right? It's this like muscular contraction, tightening, getting ready to go, whether to fight or to flight. And so if our systems don't utilize the energy in a constructive way, we hold onto it. It doesn't just dissipate necessarily. It gets bound in our system. And ultimately it's kind of this forward feedback loop of um, energy being bound in our system and then a creation or an adaptation of interference within our nervous system is created. And so traditionally chiropractors would say that bones would come out of place and it would pinch nerves and it would create the same interference in our bodies, which I think is, is true. Just maybe we can expand our, our understanding really of how um, the body binds energy, right? And um, I have so many questions. Please, yeah. I'm, let me let me make sure nothing else is going to come up with that. So ultimately, the goal of the chiropractor, right, is to diminish the interference held within the nervous system, so that the innate intelligence within can flourish or can do what it's supposed to do, and we can be in greater connection with that. And all of that happens through the neurology. We're starting to find. My mind is actually being blown right now because I feel like this is a gold nugget that I've never learned about. And that's because of my poor misconception of chiropractic medicine from my childhood. And I remember when we were younger, we used to always say, why are we going to, um, to see this man? And she would just say, it's for alignment. It's for a healthy spine or something along those lines. And I, I just feel like there's so much more behind that, that you just explained. And thank you so much. You're welcome. And maybe just to add on to that, it's been turned into this allopathic thing, right? Um, just maybe some more background in like eighties and the nineties chiropractic was under fire by the AMA because we were helping people heal and like <laughs> unwind their systems. People were, were having these spontaneous healings, right? That, Western medicine couldn't figure out like chiropractic. Traditionally people would come to see them for visceral stuff, not necessarily just for like back aches and headaches and neck pain and stuff, but it has been made into that um, primarily just to, to fit in so that we wouldn't go extinct really, but there's so much more, right? <laughs> My question. Yeah. Or I was jotting down questions as you were sharing all of that. My mind goes to preposture and, I'll use myself as an example of I've had poor posture my whole life. Drawing from my yoga training, the front body is obviously super vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I've always looked at my stance as a way of protection. I would love to speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's actually something that like most people go to a chiropractor for, right? Is like this posture thing. And something that I always tell my, my clients or my people is like, our posture is an external representation of our internal state, always, right? The tissues ultimately will form or will like harden to the, the states that we put it in over time, right? So think of, cause something that always comes up is like, oh, like, is it like my chair? Like, do I need to get a better chair? Like, do I need to get a standing desk? And it's like, all that stuff's great, but it's like, think about it more is like, really sitting all day or like traveling all the time or whatever it is that puts you into those postures is actually just reinforcing defense patterns that have been held in your system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> those postures really reinforce that fight or flight, getting ready to fight chest collapses, the shoulders internally rotate, the head goes forward, our tail tucks, like all of that stuff is reinforced by our lifestyle sometimes. Right. 
And I think too, tying into that, I used to have a friend that would say, um, oh, just stand straight. And she'd try and push my shoulders back. Yeah. And it felt coercive to me. And in right. my mind, I was always thinking that's not the solution is <laughs> to just stand straight. <laughs> like there's right. more behind it. Yeah. Just for an example, when somebody comes in with something like that, it's like, okay, to me, that is just indicative of somebody's system being held in patterns of tension or patterns of defense over a long period of time. And so ultimately, right, as the chiropractor, my ego or my educated thinks like, okay, if somebody's nervous system, if the tension over time is progressively unraveled in a way that promotes safety in a way that promotes coherence and integrity, then like everything else follows that, right? Or at least you have the opportunity to have the awareness of those things that you can shift on your own. Because ultimately, and this isn't always like what all chiropractors say, but like my goal isn't to fix people or to like change their postures. Ultimately, it's like, I want people to be in greater alignment within and then everything else tends to follow. So if you, if you did have someone just say, I came into your office right yeah. now, my thought process would be, I mean, are you starting with the first with the spine or with an understanding of how my nervous system might be functioning in this moment or both? Both. The latter is typically what I, I don't want to say I start with anything because I, it's always this dynamic dance, right? In conversation, mm -hmm. but it's like the latter is really what I'm, I'm more focused on because in my world, it's like when that shifts, everything shifts. Right. Ultimately, right? This is so fascinating to me right now. And the, I feel like there's so much information. And um, <laughs> so I guess my, my second question that I had written down, I've, okay, I have a few questions. That's okay. Yeah, please. When you mentioned stress, uh, physical, chemical, and emotional. Right. When you say chemical, does that mean brain? When I say chemical, it's, it's more like environmental. So, oh. so yeah, so like toxins. So in the air, in the water, vaccines, the food you eat, um, all of that stuff, right? Ultimately, right. this is like more of the, the quantum physics piece, like all quote unquote matter or material, right? Carries some sort of energetic frequency or energetic information, right? And our nervous systems, are attuned to different vibrations or different frequencies. All things carry a different wave characteristic. And so our nervous system's primary job is to take in that information and send it to the brain and we can act accordingly, right? And so the same is true with food, right? All food carries some level of information, um, gets absorbed in our system, and then that information is taken to our brain to understand or to whatever, right? So I feel like I'm not fully understanding. It's hard to, it's hard to like linearize, right? Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> as a listener, I feel like I understand better when I apply things cool. okay. to myself. So if I'm coming to you, I'm in a, and my body's in a state of fight or flight, uh, maybe mm -hmm. there's a bit of physical stress or emotional stress there. Then if I'm working with you over an extended period of time, is the idea to hopefully like reset or reset the nervous system over time, like via working on the spine? Yes and no. That tends to be a really beautiful effect of, of the work, right? I think from most chiropractors at this point who are really neurologically driven would say that one of the most beautiful effects of this type of care is that it makes our nervous systems more adaptable to stress. And so a lot of chiropractors now are starting to use what's called heart rate variability, which you might be familiar with. It's the adaptability or the, the capacity for our heart to be dynamic under loads of stress, right? Mm -hmm. So what chiropractors, some chiropractors are starting to use now is that as an objective measure to see the changes that are happening in people's nervous systems post-adjustment. Mm -hmm. So to, to kind of follow up with that, 
from an objective place, right? We're looking for shifts there from a subjective place. People tend to experience greater adaptability to stress or stress or things that once had power over them no longer do, or it's much decreased if you will. But also ultimately there's a spiritual piece to chiropractic that we're not really allowed to speak about to our patients or to our clients, right? <laughs> but that's that's a piece of the philosophy, right? Is being in greater alignment with that thing that's within all of us, um, which we call innate intelligence. And that is a very subjective thing, right? I can't like <laughs> document that on my EHR system or like make a little note of that, right? Cause it's not, <laughs> right? It's very subjective. Um, yeah. But ultimately that's like, the goal of all goals, right? Is to being in greater alignment with that, to being in rhythm or to be in resonance with that thing that's within that's within us. Mm -hmm. You're so well-spoken, yeah. Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for answering yeah. every question so in depth and intelligently. <laughs> um, let's start or continue on with polyvagal theory. Cool. And I'm interested in learning maybe a little bit more about how polyvagal theory might be connected to chiropractic medicine, if you want to expand on that. Absolutely. So just for those who, who may not have a background in anatomy or physiology or neurology, the nervous system, right, is the brain, its extension as the brain stem and then the, the spinal cord, and then an extension out as the peripheral nerves, right? So the spine itself traditionally is taught as like this static, like building block thing, right? That's normally how it's taught or how it used to be taught. And so now we understand that the spinal cord is actually floating and is it's floating and it's also attached um, by these ligaments inside this canal that it sits in within the spine. And so you can say, in part that the spine, the job of the spine, and actually the job of part of the job of the skull, um, and also the sacrum is to house and protect our nervous system. And so that's just kind of a nice, maybe a nice primer into the, to just a foundation. So the vagus nerve, before we dive into the branches of the nervous system, we'll talk about kind of the basics of the vagus nerve, the vagus nerve, right? 10th cranial nerve that comes from the brainstem it's known as like Vegas translates to wonder, right? And that's because it's super long and goes throughout basically from this part of our skull and travels down through the neck into travels and connects with the heart, connects with the lungs, connects with the digestive system, all of it. And primarily most of the information, right? That travels from the vagus nerve comes from our, from our gut and from our, our mid volume and then goes up to the brain. So people who have these gut feelings or these gut senses, that's the neurology that happens through. It happens through our vagus nerve. And so maybe just to kind of further elaborate, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Normally we're taught our autonomic nervous system is two gears or two branches, right? The parasympathetic and the sympathetic. The parasympathetic is... Um, multiple cranial nerves, but in this sense, we're talking about it as the ventral vagus nerve, which are the ventral vagus branch. So the, the part of our vagus that comes off the front of our brainstem, as well as the dorsal vagus branch, which comes off the backside of our brainstem. If you're, if anybody has read anything about polyvagal theory, the way that it's most often described is as a ladder system, like a three-step ladder, right? So the top step is our ventral vagus branch or the ventral vagus system. And that's when that's engaged, right? Where we feel safe, we're able to connect with ourselves, we're able to connect with others. That is typically what people think about parasympathetic. So like the rest, digest, heal. That's that like setting or that gear, if you will. The middle step is our sympathetic nervous system, which is pretty on spot or spot on with how people normally think about that, right? Our fight or flight system. The bottom level is our dorsal vagus branch or our dorsal vagal system. And you can think about that really as like this, I don't want to say it, 
hyper protection mode, right? So in animals, we see that have the same, that similar neurology, we see that as like fainting or like playing dead, right? In the face of threat, right? That's your, right? Downshift all the way down to that setting so that we don't have to experience the pain of trauma, mm-hmm. right? And so from an emotional standpoint, when that is engaged, you can think about hopelessness or severe anxiety or depression or all of those lower vibration states, if you will. Fascinating. Was that clear on just like the vagus system? Yes. And I didn't know that it was that, that it covered that much of the body. Right. It's, it's unbelievable. If you see like an outline of it, it's, it really mirrors and um, reflects kind of the structure of our, of our organ system. So a question that I jotted down or just a note that I jotted down as you were sharing that was as a trauma survivor, I feel like I get really strong gut feelings and then someone next to me will just say like, Oh, I no, I don't have that feeling at all. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how do you not have that feeling about that person? And so I guess my thought would be, and I don't know if this is correct, but in someone who's experienced trauma, are they having stronger gut instincts mm-hmm. because of the sensitivity of the vagus nerve in that area? Or truthfully, truthfully, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think I think part of that is the way in which people experience information, right? So we have people who are very like kinesthetic and like in their bodies and they, they just like, like empaths, right. They like feel everything. Right. Some people really pick up on things via smell. Some people pick up it on like the visual acuity. Some people hear things, right. I think part of that just goes to your capacity to discern information. And that's kind of ties into the whole Ayurvedic thing. Right. Well, or even to speaking from my training in trauma sense of yoga. So we learn that trauma survivors have higher exteroceptive signals or they okay. uh, engage in more exteroception than the average person. So they can recognize anger on someone's face faster. And then those interoceptive uh, skills or abilities are, it almost looks like a uneven seesaw where they're sure they're living externally basically as a means of survival. So, I mean, it could be that it could be several different things, but. Right. Well, also too, that's like, I think that's a testament to the work that you've done in your own healing journey, right? We all have this capacity and this ability to engage our internal system, right? That's like kind of what the whole mind body connection thing is about. It's about interoception, right? Our capacity to feel within ourselves and to be present And I would go as far to say like the people who have really, I don't want to say have done the work, but the people who have really like started on their healing journey, like I would say tend to have more access to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that people can't access it. It's just right. Finding either the resources or the tools in order to, to learn maybe what your different emotional states are, what your different triggers are, what your, what causes you to go into the hypervigilant state, right? Um, that's kind of ties into a lot, a lot of that, like trauma-sensitive yoga or like trauma-informed therapy or polyvagal-informed therapy. Yeah. And I think too, you've touched on a good point or an interesting point, yeah. or this is prompting me to think about something I was reading about yesterday, which is the importance of relationship in healing trauma. Uh, because as you're sharing this, my thought process could be, oh, I can read up more on this on my own and Mm -hmm. come to an understanding of it. That's one part. And then the other part would be, maybe I'm recognizing you as a safe person that is holding this information that could be valuable for me. And then I'm choosing to come see you. Right. And that, I think that relational component is key. Right. Because there's the knowing and reading the information. And then there's actually exploring that information in real time with someone else. In my mind, I'm like, that's where the healing begins. Or 
Yeah. on, I guess, is a better way of putting it. Right. Well, we all have the capacity to heal ourselves, right, from within. Ultimately, and this goes with the chiropractic paradigm, right, is that we all have this capacity to heal through our, our stuff, right? <laughs> and... And this is just my humble opinion, but I think the people that are in this type of work are really just healing facilitators, not necessarily healers. I think people who have coined or termed other people than themselves as healers, those people are really just attuned to this vibration and this frequency of like innateness or health or whatever it is, right? And we're starting to know or to learn about what are called mirror neurons, right? Which is a part of our neurology. Yes. So ultimately, what I believe is happening in these healing experiences is, is that the mere neurons are attuning to the, the healing facilitators. And that's where a lot of health and healing comes from oh. in relationship with somebody who's um, a guide for you or somebody who's a facilitator for you on your, on your journey. I was just taking a training on uh, trauma, or not a training, a workshop on trauma-informed weightlifting. Cool. We talked about mirror neurons as a coach, as a trainer, just yeah. in regards to if you're working with someone in a weight training capacity or strength training capacity, or this can really be applied to anything, but doing trauma work, um, because of mirror neurons, we can pick up like their activations or their triggers. And so they were just reinforcing the importance of self-care and boundaries in right. any kind of situation where you may be working with a trauma survivor or if you are a trauma survivor yourself, because you might be more dialed in even to the emotions or uh, experiences of the other person. Yep. It's kind of an aside, but what I was also going to say was, I'm happy that you addressed the language around healers versus like healing facilitators because like to speak to verbiage and, and trauma I always try to be really careful about how I'm framing my own offerings because if I'm coming out of the gate and saying I'm a trauma expert just by me saying that and by no means am I a trauma expert but if I were to pitch myself as one then already I'm creating a power dynamic sure. I'm an expert and you're not. Absolutely. And you're here to learn something from me versus actually just saying, like, obviously in trauma work, we want to be super cognizant of uh, power dynamic and yeah. moving through the work in a kind of shared experience type of way. So instead framing it as like a facilitator or um, something along those lines. And I, I just, I think language is so important so I'm really right. happy that um, you naturally went that way. One of my other questions I have is you mentioned previously about your own experience, your mm. personal experience with polyvagal. Right. Is there anything in there that you would like to share or expand on? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess a couple of things maybe. So the last year of chiropractic school, I decided to get under care with a licensed therapist just because I wanted to experience it. And one of the big components of that, and we kind of hit on it earlier, was really working through the polyvagal framework and understanding and really like being consciously aware of my internal states at each of those steps that we talked about. So really creating a connection and creating awareness around what I felt like when I was engaged in ventral vagal activity, what my system would do when I would feel sympathetically driven or sympathetically engaged. And also like down at the lowest level, that was really in the peak of when the whole COVID thing started, I was still under care and we were doing these video zoom calls. And it was like, man, like really having to get a sense of what my dorsal vagal engagement was like because like I don't think I'd ever really been there or at least I had never really felt the effects of it as badly or as intensely as I did when all of that started right so that's maybe just to speak to that so if anybody's out there looking for um, a licensed therapist I would personally just recommend that maybe they have some sort of polyvagal training or trauma-informed training 
just because of how beautiful it can be to really start to create an internal perception of yourself. And I think it's a really great way to do that. Yeah. And I, I think as well on the trauma informed front, <clears throat> what I was thinking about was how, I mean, from my own experience in therapy is learning how to draw awareness to my own state triggering sure. <laughs> or activating. I mean, I wouldn't call it triggering now. I would maybe at times, but definitely activating most of the time. And some clinicians aren't trauma informed. Sure. Some counselors aren't trauma informed. And that's where my mind goes is if you're encouraging that awareness or that, yeah, I guess that's a good way of putting it. Like if as a therapist, you're encouraging, um, maybe starting to draw awareness to those internal states, however, maybe they connect to polyvagal, it would be good to have that, for them to have that trauma-informed piece as well. So there's that understanding of how sensitive that might be. Yeah, right. But I imagine as well that most, I mean, I'm making this generalization, but I imagine that most people that would have the polyvagal knowledge would then also be trauma-informed, I guess. Right. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's very... You would think just because trauma and the nervous system are so intertwined and polyvagal theory is so like new and like present, present understanding of our systems. Um, you would, you would hope, right. That there is some level of, of connection there. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> this might also be a nice time to hit on the chiropractic polyvagal connection as yeah. well. Cause I don't think I, there. So again, like as chiropractors, we're working with the hardware, the software of the nervous system. And so I don't want to say that I very specifically work with the polyvagal system, but all of that is accounted for in the work that we do. So maybe just from a very like neurological scientific study-based thing that's starting to happen in the chiropractic world, most of the research that's been done in chiropractic is for pain management for the most part. What's starting to come out is um, research regarding polyvagal theory and what are called upper cervical adjustments, right? So the vagus nerve comes out of the base of our skull really close to this side part of our, of our neck, which is the first cervical vertebra. And when there are patterns of distortion or tension, um, some chiropractors will say misalignments, right? There tends to be tension on the vagus system, on the vagal nerve. And so what we're starting to find in the research is that when very specific, precise upper cervical chiropractic adjustments are performed with just cervical adjustments, that the regions in the brain that are connected with our cognition, our sense of safety, um, and some of the other centers that are connected with the ventral vagal system are actually engaged or turned on um, or become more active, if you will. And so that's just coming from a very like research clinical, mm -hmm. clinical place. So that's super cool that that's starting to come out. And fascinating. Um, I actually have an observation please, or, or maybe a thought, just speaking from my own experience as a trauma survivor, but it, it's so, this is so fascinating, but at the same time, you know, in, in my mind, I'm listening and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, like, well, why haven't I been going to see a chiropractor all this time? You know, that's the way, like, this is the, but I think <clears throat> just speaking to trauma, it, yeah. it almost feels like, a, like, as I'm listening, I feel, I feel trapped in a way because I'm like, this is the way just to learn more, just go see this person. But then this is how trauma can, you know, isolate people is my thought process is, well, then can I trust this person? Like obviously working with a chiropractor, they, they have to touch you. And then all of that, I don't know why it's hard for me to get this out, but basically what I'm thinking is, yes, this is such useful information. Wow. Fascinating. Like I want to go see a chiropractor, but then my trauma brain is like, nope, like right. I don't want someone to touch me. I yeah. like, it doesn't matter how well I know them or how well I want this to be a thing. My instinct then would be like, I can't do this. And I would think about how, if I just prompted myself to go see a chiropractor, be like, just, just do it. Then the, the entire time my body is going to be like, 
this is not a thing or like maybe inadvertently protecting itself. Yep. And I guess the reason I'm saying this is out loud, if someone else is listening, maybe in the same experience as me, you know, I am, I am someone that's committed to working on my healing, but just to speak to, even though the information is available, it's still hard to engage with it. And just touching back to that notion of the importance of like building trust Mm. and safety with someone is I think key. Yeah. And I, I guess to finish this thought, it would be like, maybe if I had exposure to that chiropractor over an extended period of time in a setting where there was no pressure, you know, like a fitness facility or something. And I could get a gauge for your character and, you know, how you operate and who you are as a person. And then, and then maybe after that year long, then I'm saying, okay, I feel safe exploring this, such a process. Right. But yeah, I just think it's important to speak on that because trauma survivors that I work with, I know can mirror those frustrations. Like they'll say, what's wrong with me? All I have to do is go see this person or do this thing. And I feel like I can't do it. And I think those feelings are very valid and it's a safety, I think is really key. And now I'm just extending this off into a different realm, but coming back to, I know you were, you were thinking about a secondary point that you wanted to share. Sure. I would, can I add, maybe add to that thought that you had? I think there's two important pieces there. One, it's like having a practitioner or regardless if it's a, a chiropractor or body worker or whatever, like they need to be able to hold space for that experience of um, hesitancy or of needing to feel safe, right? Like that should be, and that doesn't just come from like this cognitive, like speaking place, right? The person that you work with has to embody it, right? And there's something within all of us that recognizes that immediately, right? Like I'm sure both of us probably could go into a crowd and like feel out the people who feel icky or like feel, don't feel safe or like some, whatever it is, like there's just something in us that would be like, okay, like, boom, like that's it. Yeah. The other piece I was going to say is like, (laughs) nobody has to justify their feelings of hesitancy or like their, their need of safety. Right. You need to feel safe and that should be enough and it's valid. Right. And there's no need to fix it right? You just have to observe and like be present, right? You don't have to necessarily fix it in the moment. Yes, I I agree with you. And I think I might blame, you know, social media. Yeah, (laughs) that pressure. And right, it's like conditioning of moving on and getting over it and all this cultural societal stuff that was ingrained in like the 50s and 60s or whatever, right? Of like, (laughs) being tough. Mm -hmm whatever whatever that is right or i even think about you know i used to work at a spin studio and just using the example like within a spin class you're moving through a sprint the person next to you is not able to hold the sprint and then all of a sudden there's that classical conditioning of like they're weak i'm strong versus there's so many different things that could be happening as to why that person is unable to hold the sprint but we're automatically making yeah. it like this when it doesn't need to be yeah. another podcast altogether. <laughs> Sorry. I know that um, I just interrupted and you were expanding. Uh, that was, that was really, that was the end of my thought. Mm-hmm. Should I go into that to my other experience? Or? Yes, please. So I think I was in, I was probably halfway through chiropractic school and I was kind of deep into this journey of seeking, if you will. And I was going to a seminar for this lens or this, this analysis in chiropractic called biogeometric integration or BGI. And sometimes at these seminars, like everybody gets their systems checked and cleared before we start. So sometimes if there's like a lot of practitioners who are leading the, leading the seminar or the class or whatever, that tends to be a thing. And so I was on the table getting, getting checked kind of in the dance of everything. And I remember the, the chiropractor, Dr. Nathan Gorowitz, I think he's in, I don't, I might've just butchered his last name, but he's in, he's in Illinois outside of Chicago. 
And we were working and he comes back to me into the table and um, I'm on my back and he starts making these light contacts on my, on this like frontal chest region. And he said to me something along the lines of like, you can let go of your armor now. And whoever put that plate of protection on you or whoever caused you to put that plate of protection on you is an asshole. He said that to me. And I had this like this instant flashback of an experience I had when I was in middle school playing basketball and really just like getting, getting yelled at pretty intensely in a car. That was my memory. And that came up in the moment. I don't really recall like all the details of it, but I remember that happened on the table (laughs) and then, you know, a couple of the things happen and then I get up and I like had that full memory in the front of my mind and I sat down and wrote a forgiveness letter. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, pretty, pretty intense. So that was one of my other really big experiences in receiving this type of care. I mean, he just made a really light contact on my chest, right? And that was enough to bring up whatever was being held there. Yeah. First of all, wow. It sounds like he's incredibly skilled, but also that he has a high level of discernment, which I think is super important in any work, but especially this work when you're working directly with someone else's body. First, thank you for sharing that. I'm so moved just by hearing it. And I think it's really beautiful that you you were able to take action to channel that somewhere and then take action on it. It mirrors a story somewhat different where I just was having a conversation with someone who does somatic work here in town. And she told me, how do I say this in a way that's Cole's notes? Sometimes I I get like premonitions about people that I don't know, or it can look almost psychic or it comes up as a deep knowing, but I've like just met them in passing and I wasn't sure how to deal with it. So I reached out to her because she does this kind of work. Anyways, we had just sat down. I was meeting her for the first time. She said a similar thing to me. I don't know how she did it, but she just assessed, didn't even touch me. And she just said, you think that you need to put on more armor, but what you actually need to do is take your armor off. (laughs) And I literally was like, Uh, yeah. (laughs) I think I started crying because it was one of the most profound, true, perceptive things that anyone had ever said to me in my entire life. You know, I've seen so many. Like having the spotlight, like shut, like shut into your heart right someone just doing broad sweep and saying there it is you know but the reason why i shared my experience with that was because i didn't take action Mm. after she said that i was basically like screw you i'm not taking this armor off (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was thinking anyways like she is an amazing person but I still grapple with that yeah of saying like I need all of this armor no way like no no and I think that you were able to pivot and channel that right away into writing a forgiveness letter is super powerful yeah and well also to remember there's always like a readiness or ripeness, right? For us in our healing journeys, right? So for me, for me, it was like, that was the right moment for that to happen and for that to clear in my system. And like, even, even after I did that whole thing, it was like, I still have stuff. The same, like same triggering thing continues to come up, but again, it's like, it's power is less. And so maybe just to speak to what your experience has been so far as these are still accumulating events or these are still experiences that you're having that are like summative, right? Like eventually you're going to get to the point where it's like, there's a readiness in your system and whatever clears is going to clear. Right. But there's no like forcing healing. True. Yeah. I think that's, no yeah, I think that's a really good point. Thank you for saying that. And I think too important to speak on, 
mean, I, I talk about this with my clients a lot and they'll say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then it's done, but that's not how it works. <laughs> no, it's not. And I think that just, it comes from our culture, right? Of like wanting to have things fixed now, like the ancient sciences and the ancients knew that that wasn't the thing. And for some reason that was forgotten, right? At some point along the way, it was like, right, the total shift of gear towards fixing symptoms as opposed to to really taking a look at the root, the root cause. Maybe I know, I know that mental health and awareness of that is, is a big thing. I would, I would go as far to say that the majority of patterns of distortion or tension in our bodies, that 99% of them come from here and that it's not so much what we experience physically or chemically even, right? It's like <laughs> all of it for the most part is, is coming from, above from the mental plane and so it's you know really important to to put the focus there when you said here i couldn't see you so uh, do you mean like neck up yeah so so for me that's like a way of saying like the, men the mental plane as opposed to it being like this body physical thing where most of those patterns come through or the interference happens it's really like happening for the most part in the in, in our mental capacities right to a degree to a certain degree yes i agree and i i mean i was having a conversation with my doctor yesterday on uh this is like separate but connected to this thought where i've been waking up in the night recently uh panicked <clears throat> like gasping for air obviously some sort of panic attack and it was concerning because of the gasping. So I connected with my doctor was asking her about it. And, and she said, normally for anyone else, I would recommend a medication, but she knows that I would prefer. It's just a personal choice for me to not do it that way. And so she said, uh, I would recommend me uh, meditation. This is an app that I use and like in that moment, I thought that that's the right decision for me because it's going underneath. It's not just saying like, let's get rid of the panic. It's literally going to the source and saying, what about, could we possibly rewire like the frontal lobe or could we not even rewire, but just like activate a different part of the brain to help with that fight or flight response via meditation. But I um, just wanted to bring that up too. Uh, yeah. It's like just as some food for thought, but question I have for you, with your work in chiropractic medicine or what, like, what are you hoping to do in this lifetime? Where do you want to go from here? Now I'm like really branching, but yeah. What might your hope be in this sure. kind of work or even merging or bringing together everything that you know in an integrated kind of way? I mean, what, what would your hope be or what do you believe your, your purpose is? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Um, Ultimately, my goal is to live from the heart and to live from a place of like right action within me. And at the moment, chiropractic is that for me. Serving people is that for me. Truthfully, I'm not, and this, this comes into that healing facilitator thing again, but like I'm not necessarily attached to the outcome, right, of, of what happens and some people might, might take what I'm saying the wrong way, but I'm not attached to the outcome and what happens with my clients or my people, because I know that what I'm doing is like on purpose and it's, it's true for me. And that's where I'm trying to live from. Um, and ultimately like <laughs> good things come from that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like when I, when I say like outcomes are like what page, what clients experience, it's like, ideally, like if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, from a place of true authenticity, then the rest is taken care of. And that can be boiled down to maybe more spiritual type stuff, but that's where I'm, where I want to live from. Not so much live from here, but to live from the heart. I guess from here, I would love to open up a healing space because I'm currently doing home visits, <laughs> which has been great in the past week. But my, maybe just to speak to your question, my immediate goal is to really co-create a space with my partner that facilitates healing and connection. Yeah, that's my goal at the moment. <laughs> I, I, that's such a 
beautiful and honest answer. And my, my question would be, as a facilitator in a different kind of way, I was just thinking about this this morning, but sometimes I, I get attached to outcome for selfish reasons. I just realized that uh, is I, and this is like a, an honesty point for me is I love doing the work that I do, but also I get attached to an outcome sometimes because it's almost as if, if I know that it's help, what I'm doing is helping someone then in a, in a way it will make what I, what happened to me m more bearable because it, it will come full circle. So, and I find myself, not that I'm operating in that mode all the time, but I definitely have moments where I'm noticing this kind of grasping to someone else's outcome for selfish reasons. And oh. I'm wondering how you're able to operate it just seems like when you were saying that it was so effortless for you to say like, yeah, this is, you know, I'm trusting that this is what I'm here to do. And, and that's kind of, that's, effortless. that's it. <laughs> no, it's not effortless. Truthfully, it's like a constant check-in, right? It's a constant check-in. And I've been lucky to experience enough in this like <laughs> nine months of practice, what it feels like when I'm, when I'm working from that place and what it feels like when I'm not working from that place. And so truthfully, it's been a process of learning how to let go of some things. Ultimately, that's all, that's all it is. And that's another way to really speak to chiropractic is just like this ongoing process of letting go. And mm -hmm. it's not effortless. <laughs> <laughs> in regards to not being attached to outcomes, I think is really uh, valuable information. It seems so simple, <laughs> honestly, and something yeah. that I, I do my best to be aware of, but it's hard. <laughs> simple, but not easy, right? Simple, but not easy. Yes. And uh, yeah, I guess just in my experience, if I were to like grade myself, or if I were to check in with myself, with my work, my main indicator for myself, and this comes from, from my mentor, my main indicator is how clear and present I am in the moment working with somebody. That's always my gauge. And so I'm at the point where I've cultivated enough cookie crumbs, puzzle pieces, whatever you want to say, to get a sense of like what presence and clarity feels like in me. So that's my gauge. And that's how I, not judge, but that's how I judge my work is like, that's my check-in. I ask myself, okay, was I present? And if I wasn't like, okay, what do I need to do to, to cultivate that next time? And it's like a continual process. It's a continual, like every day in practice is like an experiment. It's a test tube. I have no idea what's going to happen in a given day when I'm working with somebody. I have no expectation people who come to see me have expectations but i have no expectation mm -hmm. and my only i guess my only expectation is of myself and it's to be present and as clear as i can be for them so well said honestly <laughs> i was i was to be honest where my mind was going when you were sharing that because i i was thinking about uh human design yeah and it seems as though you have a lot of groundedness like inside you, like you're, you're a grounded person. And where my mind was going was, I wonder if your root center is naturally, like my, I have an open root center, which means yeah. I'm, I have to work at grounding. And I, in my head was wondering, maybe you have the opposite. I have my chart somewhere. Um, I know that I'm a sacral generator. That's like my thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't gone as deep as I would like to get into that. I think that stuff is super cool. Me too. It's a really beautiful tool to use for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another part of that thought, just bringing it back to checking in with yourself is, I guess, just speaking from my own experience, obviously, it's important to have those check-ins. And I think sometimes where I can get caught up is 
in the self-judging in those moments where I'm noticing that I'm not clear or not present as a result of something else, then my mind goes to, who do you think you are? You can't even be doing this. You have to be clear and present all the time. And then I place these unrealistic expectations on myself, which is to be that way all the time. And no one's that way all the time. Right. Well, kind of goes with the whole meditation thing right it's like can you can you live in meditation and meditation the goal of meditation isn't to like stop thoughts or to control thoughts it's really like this practice of observation and letting go and ultimately it's like can you do that when those things come up in your work Mm -hmm. right and that's how it is for me when i'm adjusting somebody like (laughs) i'll snap out of my my like presence or my flow or whatever and be like oh shit i've never been in this position before i don't know what's about to happen and then it's like is, can i practice letting go in that moment and then following through with the connection that i've made and that's just a reflection of life right our work can just be a nice representation or reflection of how we live life mm-hmm. yeah so well said tying this back to human design I do notice if I'm having difficulties with the noticing, letting go, or what have you. Uh, My human design shows that I gain clarity from literally just saying words out loud. So I don't know what the point is in me sharing this, but maybe just, I always think maybe someone's listening that's in the same boat as me, but um, I, I do find that once I'm in the work, and talking, it stabilizes me. It's, it's almost as if the anxiety or not feeling present or clear come before. And then there's the, the second guessing that comes after. But then in the moment, I actually rarely feel that way. Right. It could be human design. It could be something else. but <laughs> Or just like being in flow or whatever. But, yeah. um, but thank you for speaking on that because... I mean, I'm so passionate about literally just talking about anything and everything in regards to this because it's almost like taking the curtain down behind the Wizard of Oz, you know, it's saying, I I think we have this tendency to pedestal each other, pedestal practitioners, doctors, you know, pedestal so so many different people and things. And along with that pedestaling, come assumptions that we're making oh that person must be perfect or they must be doing this right all the time or they must have it all together and i i think just speaking to what's behind that you know saying dr chris this is his method when like he's not perfect and he is checking in on himself and these are the ways that he puts that into practice on a day-to-day basis it can be relieving, I think, for so many people. Because it's almost like coming back to that notion of, oh, I'm not alone in these thoughts. It's, it's humanizing, really, just taking a step to humanize ourselves, humanize each other via conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think just to quickly speak on that, like, I don't know much about the history of this, but at some point there was like this guru culture, right? Where that's where kind of the like pedestal thing maybe comes from, where we are so in the process of seeking something, right, outside of ourselves that we end up placing people on pedestals. And in my experience so far <laughs> in this short, short lived journey, the true teachers or the true gurus, if you will, do not proclaim themselves as such and they don't put themselves on the pedestal. It's actually the students who put them on the pedestal. Mm. And I'll just say this for anybody who's on their journey and they're looking and they're searching and they're seeking and um, are wanting answers from somebody else in your search, maybe, maybe check that out and see if that holds true. Like are the people that you're working with or the people that, you're looking for answers like what is their what is their discernment between ego right and the like self right the like true self and 
where are they speaking from? Are they speaking from a place of power, like we talked about earlier? Are they speaking of a place of like presence and facilitating conversation and like deeper dives as opposed to like just giving answers and like withholding information? Mm -hmm. I think is super important. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. And it's something that I'm finding myself getting or feeling increasingly bothered by <laughs> with socials and people just claiming to fix anxiety in a in one course or um, here to master your finances in one workshop. And I, I'm always thinking, I mean, well, well-intentioned that might be because I'm not pointing fingers, you know, just saying, but how, how is that even a thing, you know? At, and in my training, in my trauma sense of yoga training, one of my uh, facilitators said trauma burns bullshit. And which is very true. And I, th I think about that a lot when I'm reading stuff online where I'm just, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking I, I understand the, the power of marketing, of course, but it doesn't work on me per se, because I'm sure. always, I'm looking for the person behind that mark marketing, you know, sure. being like, um, you can be rich in two months. And, and in my mind, I'm like, who are you? You know, like right. to, who, where are you coming from? What's your story? The yeah. what's, what are your wounds? What are your hurts? Like, that's yeah. what I'm interested in. That's what I'm interested in is the human behind this so that I can get a gauge on whether or not we're a good fit for me to receive this ad right. advice from you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, it goes back to that like right action thing, right? It's like for some people, like that's going to be their teacher, mm -hmm. but for you, it's not. And there's no shame in that. Um, ultimately, we're going to connect with and resonate with who we connect and resonate with. And there's no judgment on that. Mm -hmm. It's just absolutely. Chewy who we connect with in the moment. So true. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope this is picking up. <laughs> yeah, this is. <laughs> well, I feel like this could be a good place to, sure. to end the conversation for now. Yeah. Maybe in the future, just have you back for a part two or does your partner do podcasts as well? I don't know. I could, I could try and rope her in. It would be neat to, to chat yeah. with both of you just to have yeah. a third perspective in here uh, in the future. But yeah. um, I'll have to see if I can make it happen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But wanted to say, I, I feel like we just started chipping away at a larger conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for yeah. this small little chip, really wanted to thank you for taking the time to... Yeah connect with me today and really looking forward to more conversations in the future. And I'll make sure to link if it's okay with you, your socials so that people yeah. have a way of being able to contact you. Totally. Well, also thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I think this is a really beautiful space to be able to share. Thank you so much. And thank you. we are signing out for today.